Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Let's dive in. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, back on track with our series that we had started a few weeks ago. And uh, jumping back in, Acts chapter 2, God's redeeming story that's setting all things straight is not just something we learn about, it's something we're invited into. Um, it's kind of like, do y'all remember, this is going way back, but in, in uh, one of my speech classes in college, um, we studied famous speeches that were effective, that changed, uh, changed rooms and changed even the course of history sometimes. Um, but there was one that was really particular, it stood out to me, and the Coke company who made soft drink, Coca-Cola, had put out a new and improved version. Does anybody remember that? It was like in the 80s. I mean, I don't remember it, but apparently it was a big deal because it didn't take long until they said, so this guy did this speech about, we are sorry, we are dumb, (laughs) we should have never did that, and please come back, we're going back to the original formula. And so for me, that is the book of Acts. I don't see it as merely history. I believe it is historical and I believe it is an account, but I believe it's the prescription. I think it's the original formula that every church, it's the North Star that every church should attain to, should, should want to be like, is what we read in the book of Acts. A church that isn't impotent, but a church that has the power to turn the whole world upside down and have everybody question the categories and the lifestyles that they're living in because they see the quality of Christ in his people in such a way that would make them stop and at least consider, what am I doing here? Because I feel like in Christianity today, we're kind of like, We're like a signpost. But there's something about a signpost. You can drive by a signpost. And I think the Lord is wanting to create a people that are more like forks in the road. So does the quality of your life bring people to decision? Or is it just an informational billboard where they just go, oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm." But that the Lord would be raising up, and I think I got that from a missionary, Jim Elliott, who was martyred for his faith. But I think he said that, that he would to be a fork in the road instead of a signpost. I can't remember, but you can probably Google it and find the quote. But I think that's where that came from. But, but that the Lord would have us to live in such a way, not to be a nuisance and not to be hard on people, but that the quality of Jesus is so shining through us that people go, they're either crazy Or like, God is real. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? And so that's this kind of book of Acts reality that the Lord is not just saying, hey, read about this and see how cool that I used to be. But maybe that the Lord would say, hey, read this so that you never lose sight of what you ought to be. And that's just the way I look at the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is like the original formula Coke. Don't mess with the recipe. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. There's no new and approved Holy Spirit formula. (laughs) It's the old school way 
that leans into, not in my strength or in my power, but in your strength and in your power and your unction and in your guidance, I will step forward and build your church. And I think what's happened is, is we got so many churches that think it's their church. And when it's mine, guess how I'm going to steward it? The way I feel it, it should I go. But when it's God's, I'm going to have to check in with Holy Spirit whether I'm going to tie my shoes or not. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like God, this is your church. And so every once in a while, I think we've got to come to these places to where we really lean in and say, Holy Spirit, uh, I, I got to do it almost once a month. There's some seasons I got to do it every day. And there's some seasons once a week. But just about once a month, I'll get all these thoughts. You ever get thoughts? It's like, maybe if I did this, or maybe I've done that, or what? Well, that church over there is doing this. And maybe should, you know, and there's nothing wrong with those. those are, it's okay to vet those out. But at the end of the day, you've got to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to lead, guide, empower, just infiltrate everything that I'm doing. Because if, if there's an ounce of flesh to this, it's going to leaven the whole lump. <laughs> so God, teach me how to do it in your power, in your will, in your way, and forget all my thoughts. Because some of them could be God thoughts, but some of them might not be. Because how many of you know you can have a good idea, but it's not a God idea? And if you settle for good ideas, you'll miss out on the God ideas. So this is the place that I think, I think the Lord says. So this is God's redeeming story. These are not unconnected, that are just random informational things with numbers and details that don't interlock with anything else. The Bible is a divinely inspired book. It's God-breathed. And that means that if it's God's breath is in it, that there's somehow, all of it is somehow pointing to something of his life. And I don't know if we have it or not, but maybe we do. But there's a scripture, there's a picture Cody shared, I think it was from Louis Giglio. And it was a picture of every scripture that cross-references to another scripture that cross-references to another scripture that, so this would be the books of the Bible, these, the bottom, the white. You can see Psalm 19 in the middle, the longest uh, so the book of Psalms there. That's the one in the middle. So that's Psalm 19. So I think this is every chapter of the scriptures, if I'm getting this right. Genesis to Revelation, every chapter, correct? And this is how many times it cross-references each other and ties into the other one. This is not a random disconnected book of random stories that don't have any bearing on the other thing. So what can happen is when you begin to see patterns and when this key is unlocked for you, you can be reading this one thing and then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I saw that over here. This sounds like that's what happened over here. And before you know it, you're weaving the whole thread of this tapestry together. And then when you step back and take a look at it, 
You just start to see Jesus in everything. You start to see God's pattern and his movement in everything. And so we're going to look at the book of Acts, and, and we're, we're probably not going to hone in on the part that everybody hones in on, and that's the speaking in tongues part. That's valid. I believe in that. I, I try to do it every day of my life. If I don't, y'all pray for me that I would. Um, I believe there's a prayer language that every single person can have. And that you can be filled with the Spirit and empower you and edify you in the Holy Ghost and, uh, and, and bring you to a new level. I'm just saying. But I'm not going to really get in on that part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into let you see this whole story of how what happened in the book of Acts was things that happened in other places. And, and it's the continuation of God's great story. Okay? Um, and maybe some details that could help weave that together. So the, so Acts chapter 2, verse 1, says, Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So Pentecost would have been, uh, Penta means 50, so this would have been 50 days after Passover. There was a festival, a harvest festival. Now in the Jewish calendar, there's seven feasts that would revolve around the year. And guess what they revolved around? all revolved around the crops that were fertile that year or in that season. So Pentecost would have been what they called the festival of first fruits. This would have been the first fruits of the wheat harvest that would have come up. So they would have kind of gathered this, this feast, this festival around um, God's provision in the first, okay? So the Holy Spirit would come down on this feast and begin to birth the church as a first fruits kind of reality. So it wasn't just wheat coming up. There were little Jesuses that were going to start sprouting up. And this is how Jesus said it. If a grain of wheat falls to the ground and produces much so when Jesus is being put in the ground, he's comparing himself to a seed. Why? Because he's linking himself to the Jewish calendar so that they would know this isn't just with crops and soil and, and things you're going to eat. This is something I'm doing in people. So Jesus goes into the ground, resurrects from the dead, ascends to the Father, sends the Holy Spirit as a latter rain, so a new crop of Jesus's might pop up. Yeah. That's just verse one. I got a lot more to go. Uh, that Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Yeah. So, um, so Jesus is our model. Uh, are we going to capture that perfectly like he did? Obviously not, but don't let that be an excuse to let you settle for mediocrity in your life. Be like Paul and say, whatever's apprehended me, I'm apprehending and I'm forgetting everything behind me and I'm going forward into the fullness of everything God has for me. That's what you got to do. You got to have that kind of mindset. And some of our doctrines excuse us of our sin and keep us in lackadaisical attitudes. And we call it, oh, I'm just embracing the broken, fallen side of me. And I'm like, well, that's great, but how about the Holy Spirit and God's side that could rise above that and maybe lead you into an 
overcoming life. Verse two. <laughs> and suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing from heaven filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. So we see some descriptors here. Wind and fire. So I want you to think about some times in the scripture where maybe fire was mentioned. Burning bush, oh my gosh, go you. <laughs> no, no, this is so cool because the later in Jewish history, the, the Pentecost festival also became a time that they believed that's when Moses has an encounter at the burning bush. So they would celebrate the receiving of the law and the call of Moses during this time as well, that this is, could have been the time that Moses received the law. And what descended on the mountain when they came to the mountain to get the law? Not everybody at once. <laughs> like she got, gave you the clue. Just pretend. Say fire. Oh, my gosh, you guys. It's amazing. Right? The mountain was, like, scary. So it was like the fire landed on things. It marked the presence on stuff, on things. When you see wind, how is the Holy Spirit? In the Greek language, it would be pneuma. In the Hebrew language, it would be the ruach. But it's the same word for breath or wind. So what's blowing? Wind. Fire. Wind. Do you get the picture? Right? Um, the God who answers by? Fire. It's the fire and the wind is associated with the presence of God. But in this instance, it's not landing on a mountain or on a shrub. It's landing on what? Okay, here you go. You ready? This gets better. Okay, when Solomon dedicates the temple and they've got a sacrifice on the altar, what comes down to solidify I'm going to be here? So what you're seeing in scripture here isn't this odd event of like a good gust come in and blew off their turbans and then they're like this fire is like, you know, whoa, what is going on here? You know what I'm saying? It's connecting to every other place in the Bible where the presence of God is resting and solidifying himself. So now it's not landing on mountains and stuff. It's on you. It's coming on to you. So that means you are the temple. You are the place where God's spirit is going to dwell. You are the emissary that he's sending out in the world. And guess what? You're a mobile hotspot. You can go anywhere and everywhere. And the fire of God and the presence of God is on you.
And what Satan would have you to do is settle for second-class religion and have you think you've got to come in here and that's the only time you're going to experience the, the blessings of God and the Spirit of God and the presence of God is when you get in here and somebody that's actually looked at the Bible this week tells you what you ought to think about it. The fire fell on God's people. And they all started glorifying God in different languages. There's this moment in Scripture to where those bad old Samaritans kick Jesus and his disciples out of town. They're bad. Samaritans. I'm going all the way to chapter 8. I need to stop right now. I've got to save this. But I can't help it because you'll forget anyway. And I'll preach it again and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that was so. Jesus is going through this town and he tries to go to the Sumerians. And they go, they were mad at him because he was trying to go all the way to Jerusalem. They said, well, if you're not going to stop here, don't stop. You just keep going. We want this to be your final resting place. So he said, oh, okay. So Jesus is walking on. James and John look at Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven? Jesus says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Now, fast forward, Philip gets sent to the Sumerians, preaches the gospel, and they get saved. He says, hey, everybody's responding to this message. Peter and John, can y'all come lay hands on them where they get filled with the Holy Spirit? How did the Samaritans get fire? It wasn't the fire of judgment. It's the fire of the presence and the Spirit of God. So that God's judgment on the earth, you know what God's judgment on the earth is? You. You're the fire he sent from heaven to go be bearers of good news. And that's what drives the world crazy. <laughs> Isn't it funny? It's like, hey, I got some great news for you. There's a God who loves you. Oh, would you shut up, you bigot? Oh. Like, it's like, how did that happen? Like, you have a God who dies for you. Oh, gosh, oh, I can't handle it. But that's the irony of the thing, is that the judgment of God is also the grace of God. That Jesus on the cross is salvation and simultaneous judgment. So is the cross judgment or is it our salvation? Yes. That the judgment of God in this age of grace it's people bearing his spirit and his word. Being martus, witnesses. Just saying what they saw. <laughs> Just saying what you see, what you hear. And uh, so that's the reality of what's going on here. It's linking us to this new reality that God's not landing on shrubs or mountains. He's landing on people. And that you'd be the holy temple. That you'd be the place where he would want to manifest his glory. 
that you'd be the place he'd want to set on fire and blow his wind through. Yeah, everyone in here. That we are going to be his new tabernacles. Verse 5. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing. It gets wild and wackier, okay? I'm just telling you. But that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll muddle through it. Verse 5. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. That's odd. Verse 7, completely baffled, they said, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthian, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, that's a bad thing there, the Cretans, they were really bad people, and Arabs, and we hear them speaking in our own language about the great deeds God has done. And all were astounded and greatly confused. It's kind of what happens when the Holy Ghost breaks out in a service, isn't it? It's like people are like, this is cool, but what is happening? It's like when you brought that Baptist friend that comes and you're like, I hope everybody behaves themselves because I don't want to have to explain myself. And then that's the service that breaks out and you're like, oh, okay. Well, let's just dive on in then. Bible study time, huh? And others jeered at the speaker saying, they are drunk on new wine. Hmm. When's the last time the church has been accused of being drunk on the Spirit of God and being under his influence? <laughs> um, this is where Paul has said don't, don't be drunk on wine but be filled with the spirit of God be filled with the spirit of God that you can be under the influence in such a way <laughs> that the world says they got to be drunk. And it's funny how one is more acceptable than the other. And it's like, one we just laugh about, and the other one we go, that's terrible, I'm out of there. Oh. I'm here. Thank you, Lord. I'm speaking the oracles of God. Um, so there's a number involved here that would seem random. Who knows the number? How many were in the upper room? 120. 120. Good job, Trish. 
120. So what in the world could be going on there? Oh, Luke's just recording history. That number has no significance, right? Yeah, let's just move on. Come on, somebody chastise me there. Don't, oh, it might mean something. Okay, well, let's maybe look into it and see what it could mean. So there's a few different thoughts. Option one would be what we said. Maybe this is just who was there. There's another option here as well. Actually, several. Um, one of the factors would kind of represent these numerics of 10 would mean uh, some kind of perfection. And then 12 would obviously mean some kind of government. So it would be like the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the number 10 being the multiple would mean some kind of, uh, some kind of perfection going on. So you have your 12 apostles, and then you have each of them with 10 men, that this would have been a multiple that would have sent off bells into a, um, an ancient mind and going, wait a second, what's going on here? There's another time 120 is mentioned, and that is when Ezra comes back with, the, um, with uh, some captives from Babylon, and they're trying to reestablish uh, the temple and, and the city of Jerusalem and, and, and reestablish some of these things, that he actually had 120 uh, men to help him reestablish Israel. So that's good. I think it's a little bit of all these, but I'm just telling you kind of what pops up. It was kind of like a mini kind of Sanhedrin. Um, also, there's another 120. Uh, remember the flood of Noah? God said he's going to shorten the numbers of men to 120 years. In other words, in 120 years, a flood of judgment's going to come. Now he's saying in 120 that actually the grace and the mercy of God is going to come and the Spirit of God is going to come and this number would have maybe set off alarms there. Um, and then there's the fifth option, which is my favorite option. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 12, David has had the ark set in his tabernacle, in his tent. And he wanted to build the temple. But God said, you can't build the temple. Too much blood on your hands. You've been fighting too much. A mindset of war can't bring about the presence of God. It can establish the presence, but it can't bring it into its fullness. So I'm going to need a mind that's going to be more aimed at wisdom and decision, not one that wants to fight and beat everybody up. It takes one to get one established because it takes some generals to cut through the lines, but it can't be sustained like that. Otherwise, you end up like the church in Ephesians that couldn't stand false teaching, ran off every false teacher that come around. How would you like to be in that church? It's pretty cool. But Jesus said, you forgot your first. Mm. So even when our fighting is righteous, we got to be careful that we don't forget our first love. The word there for the first love would actually, you've forgotten your first love is the same word used for divorce. That even though you're in this fight, you're not walking in love and relationship with me. That you could be fighting for God and be divorced to him at the same time. It's called the business partner relationship. Every marriage can sink into it, right? You're paying bills and taking care of kids and ugh. You're like, wait a second. I love you. <laughs> it's like, we do more than fight. <laughs> we can actually love each other. 
Oh, I've got no real folk in here. Okay, fine. <laughs> Forget you then. I'm going on. I'll put my stuff out there. Pray for me, the less spiritual one in the room. So Solomon is preparing to move the ark, the presence of God, where the presence of God dwelt between the two cherubim, the footstool or throne of God on the earth, the connection point between heaven and earth where God linked heaven to earth for the realities of the blessing and the presence and the good things of God is going into the temple. So guess how many priests are all blowing a trumpet before the presence of God comes in? It was 119, but it was so far. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was 120. <laughs> it's so close. It was so close. No, it was 120. It's 120 priests all blow their trumpet as the presence of God is coming back into the temple. So how many do we have in the upper room? 120. 120 priests, kings and priests, all with a trumpet to their lips in one accord playing the same note, which is the glory of God, the grandeur of Jesus, and they're all blowing the same thing. And the onlookers of the world that are speaking all these languages are going, what is going on here? The Bible's not boring. You just got to dig when it comes to treasure. Remember this? Trish might remember this. We did a field trip to Murfreesboro digging for them diamonds one time. Do you remember that? Oh, my goodness. I was so mad when they said, I wanted to go to the alligator farm. I wanted to see some animals at the zoo. They said, you want us to dig in the dirt on our field trip? This is my day. This is my time. No school. No parental vision. And you got me. Well, now I've got parental vision right now right on me right now. What? What? You're going to ruin my day by bringing me to a place where we're going to dig for diamonds because you know nobody's finding a diamond out there. You'll hear the story, right? Oh, this five-year-old with his little toy sand shovel covered, uncovered the hope, the hope Diamond of Arkansas. And you're like, oh, great. And then you go and dig all day long and you don't even find a quartz crystal. And you made a vacation out of that. <laughs> Mad. Because I like to find treasure. But here's the deal. If you don't dig, because it's hidden for you, not from you. It's why there ain't just jewels laying out everywhere. If that was the case, everybody would be getting them. But the Lord would inspire you through hiding these things in his word to see how far you're willing to go to uncover. And uh, man, you get one revelation from the Lord, it'll change your whole life. You'll just be like, Ooh. matter of fact, there's sometimes you're like, I don't want to share that, Lord. It's like, get it out. Look. Right. 
Because it's yours. You found it. You found it. And uh, so I think that's what's going on here. I think the upper room is these trumpet-blowing priests declaring the presence of God has come back to the temple and the temple is God's people. <laughs> Man, is this Jeopardy? I am so, I'm just, if there's any doubt that I'm in doctrinal error, it's got to be, there's no way with this happening. Uh, there's another thread in this. Y'all got time for one more thread? Man, there's a lot more threads, actually. Um, we'll just do one. In Genesis 11, there's this encounter to where um, the world builds this tower of, it's called the Tower of Babel, probably in the subtitle, but I don't think it was called Babel until God changed the languages. But um, They build this tower. And in the tower, the scripture talks about it reaching into the heavens. The tower is not really about height. Because in the ancient language, some people would say, oh, they were trying to build their way up to heaven. They weren't really trying to do that. The ancient mind would have saw these towers that would be more like what we would call a ziggurat. Um, I was talking about this with some, um, with some of the Uber drivers in Mexico because they call uh, the ziggurats that the mines built, they call them pyramids. They say it different in Spanish than I can say it. Is Angelica here? She kidding me. It was, anyway, it sounds like pyramid. It's just there's a different emphasis on a different syllable somehow. But it's like, they're like, oh, the pyramids. I'm like, well, actually, that's not a pyramid. A pyramid doesn't have steps on the outside. A pyramid is concerned with what's inside. A ziggurat has steps on the outside and is concerned with going up and going down. So these are actually ziggurats that were, that were being built. And so the idea was, is they built a ziggurat, and then they built a temple next to it. And John Walton's got a lot of stuff on this. If you want to, uh, you can get his stuff on YouTube, and he's got commentaries and books, and they're all just fabulous. But anyway, um, so the ziggurats were concerned with not, not even anyone going up. They were concerned with God coming down. And that's exactly what the text tells you in, in Genesis 11. It says... God came down and said, let me see what's going on here, right? Um, so they would build a ziggurat, this kind of pyramid-looking structure with stair steps on each side going to, to the heavens. And the idea was is that they would have a temple beside it so that they would be asking God to come down. And so God would come down the ziggurat or the tower, and then he would come into the temple and kind of bless their work. Like, that was the idea. It was, a, it was a way to say, God, we want you to come down. So in this tower, um, all the nations are, are building this monument, but they're building this monument to their own name, to their own glory. And what they want God to do is come down and bless what we're doing and then go back up there and let us do our thing. Um, God don't work like that, just want to say so God comes down and obliges them and then goes into and looks around their place. God says, I don't like it. 
This is about you. This has got nothing to do with me and my glory and my name. So the Lord confuses their languages, and from that place, okay, it's going to get wild. Are you guys okay? It's going to get weirder. It's way weirder. God changes their languages, and the ones that can are divided up into different areas. It's the first time that we actually kind of see this picture of nations. What the Lord does is, as he puts some of his heavenly beings in charge over each of these nations and tells them, you rule them for me on my behalf. Those angels rebel against God, do not lead those nations. They teach the nations things of war. They teach them how to make their, all this stuff and imprint all this hidden knowledge to them. And when they do that, the nations end up going further from God. So God says, what am I going to do now? No, God never said that. He always had the plan. But proverbially. So then he says, you know what? I'm done with the nations. Forget the nations. I'm done with them. So in chapter 12, he calls one man by the name of Abraham and says he was going to make a mighty nation out of one man to shame the principalities and powers and the other nations of the world to show them the nation with just one man that walks in covenant with me is going to outshine every other nation (laughs) under the guidance of the demonic human wisdom. It's a lot to chew, I told you. It's a lot to chew. So this is where Abraham and that reality comes from. Now, if you go to Genesis 10, it begins to tell you how all the nations divided up. In those nations, those, it's called the table of nations. There is about 70 nations, areas listened. Do you remember when Jesus sent out a certain number of emissaries? You remember that? How many did he send out? 70. Yeah, in some translations, 72. Um, some of the older manuscripts say 72, but there's a lot of trouble with that reading that it's probably 70 uh, when you look into it. So the idea is, is that Jesus isn't just sending out a random number of people. He's sending out these to go heal the sick, cast out devils, do all this, as a representation that now people are going to come and redeem the fallen nations that fell and were divided in the Tower of Babel. Now remember, when they come back, they're rejoicing. Remember that? They said, man, the demons were subject to us. But do you know what Jesus said? He said that, but before that, you know what he said? I saw Satan falling. See, the church sees demons falling, but Jesus sees Satan himself falling. That in other words, Jesus is saying, the 70 nations that were split up and lost and didn't have a hope in the world, I'm now sending emissaries that are going to redeem the entire world. The languages from Acts 2 that they mentioned, you notice how they painstakingly meet, talk about the, I mean, it's kind of like redundant. You're like, fried you for the, you know, you're trying to, you almost think you got filled when you're reading those, those nations. And, 
it correlates with the Tower of Babel of how the nations were dispersed and given over to the demonic realm. They are now being unified with different tongues that are declaring the grandeur and glory of God. That God is undoing what happened at Babel with different tongues now and that it's a sign gift to show that God is about the evangelization of the entire world. And he's going to start with 120 priests that are all playing the same note. Jesus. Jesus. Um, yeah. So, um, God is redeeming Babel. And he's reinstituting us as temples. And you are carrying the presence of God to the world. So if you're going to be a good soldier, you got to do like Paul. Don't get tangled to the affairs of this world. You're going to be off mission. You're going to get distracted. You're going to get angry. You're going to get bitter. And you're going to forget, wait a second, what's the mission? Oh, the presence and the gospel, furthering the kingdom of God. That's the mission. That's the mission. So don't lose sight of the mission because you get entangled in the world. And also a side note for charismatics, the Holy Spirit comes down because of world evangelization. Not just for manifestations and stuff for us to be in the same room doing the same thing all the time. That every time in the book of Acts, and we'll see this as we trudge our way through, every time a miracle happens, it's to lead somebody to Jesus. <laughs> every time. It's not just in and of itself. It's always aimed at, oh my gosh, did you see what happened? Oh yeah, let me tell you who did it. It was it's Jesus. That it's a witness to him. So the book of Acts um, isn't just the acts of the apostles. I think it ought to be our acts. Yeah. It ought to be our acts. It'd be the acts of the church. Man, I want to go so much further in Acts right now, but i got to stop right here. I've got to stop. I have, oh, I could have tied something in there. You have to just get it later. You have to get it later. Oh, it's closed too, so that means, that means stop. All right, let's pray. Lord, God, let us be the temples where your presence resides. God, why don't you just send a breeze through here right now that would just solidify to every person that they are the temples of God, that your presence dwells in them and with them. And Lord, let's not get so hung up on the manifestation that we forget what it was for. <laughs> that it's about winning the world. Sometimes it's about being persecuted by the world. Sometimes you got to be hated before you can be loved. 
Sometimes you got to be different before you can be accepted. So, Lord, would you just set us on fire again? Um, that I might be naive, but I'd rather be naive and believe for the book of Acts experience than I had spend the rest of my life resting on a pew while the world passes us by as another signpost <laughs> that they just wave and say, oh, that was cool. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Oh, okay, well, next time we come back, maybe you'll see it. But God, that we would be firmly planted forks in the road. <laughs> that upon meeting us, people are brought to the place of decision. That on meeting us, they would know if what they have is authentic. And they would go right or left. There's got a day's coming where you're going to separate the sheep from the goats. <laughs> so Lord, would you just help us to be more like sheep? <sighs> so that the goats would know the difference. <laughs> Let us not be a goat in sheep's clothing. <laughs> that know how to talk like a sheep, <laughs> know when to say amen, when to clap their hands, and when to go to the altar, and when to go home. But that, God, we would be the reality of the thing. That we would be many temples, <laughs> many places of presence on the earth. Fill us afresh. Why don't we just stand to our feet before we dismiss and just, just lift your hand and just say, Lord, fill me afresh. It's multiple times you'll see in the book of Acts where they prayed and God filled them. <laughs> that there's fresh fillings fresh wind and fresh fire <laughs> fresh wind fresh fire 21st century gust of the Holy Spirit that story of the miracle at Cana where Jesus saved the best wine for last <laughs> that maybe God has better wine than he did in Acts 2. That maybe this last wine that he wants to pour out could be even more potent. <laughs> and that the whole world would come to him.
Maybe so. Maybe so. So, Lord, we remove every religious mindset, every religious spirit. Lord, every bad teaching that would lock us into systems and have us actually argue about the better things of God that are to come. God, we just be open. Open to your Holy Spirit doing whatever he wanted to do. However he wanted to do it. That it wouldn't be about a spotlight on us, but it would be a spotlight on Jesus. We're like John. We would disappear and call ourselves the disciple whom Jesus loved, and we wouldn't even put our name to it. so that we might disappear, that you might appear. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.